you go out and you achieve the mission. And, you know, that's that's just cool. It's a good metaphor for life in general, right? You set yourself a goal and you achieve it even when you encounter obstacles. So I've just always gravitated towards that. You know, it's like, what do, what are you not taught? That's often a lot more sinister than what is being taught. If you knew maybe 10 more details about a certain historical period, it can totally change the frame of reference for the whole thing. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 53. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food's on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Head over to my podcasts page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts, and there you can follow me on all the various social media where I have a presence, some more than others. You can also offer your financial support through some of the options available on the podcasts page, as well as follow the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher and leave a five-star review and a comment. Those kinds of engagements move the show up so more people can listen. I have created a few Happy Halloween mugs, which are on my Cranky Without Coffee store linked on the podcast page. If you despise candy corn as much as I do, the No Candy Corn Mug is for you. Yes, it's terrible, and if you don't think so, you're wrong. Folks, if you like history and have discovered that the history you were taught in high school or college has come up short, Brian McClanahan, PhD and historian, has the fix. Click my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash Academy, or find the banner on the show notes page, to go over to McLanahan Academy, and there you can sign up for the entire academy of classes or pick and choose the course which is right for you, with courses ranging from the Declaration of Independence or the Constitutions to his newest survey course, United States History to 1865. The other half of that is due soon as of this recording in mid-September 2019, you can fill in the gaps left, and there are gaps left from your previous history education. Culinarylibertarian.com slash McClanahan Academy. My guest today is Luke Tatum from the Culture of Peace podcast, but today Luke is here as the creative director of Dummy Corporation, a new digital game he's developing. I've asked Luke on to talk about the game, what it's about, how he got the idea, and how it incorporates libertarian ideas. Luke has been on previously talking about anarchy, and more specifically, how to anarchy, which means how to start to make the break from the intrusion of the state. Welcome back, Luke. Thanks for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure to be back and an honor. Well, that's pretty high praise. Well, I'm glad you're here because we're going to talk about something which fits in with your theme of liberty and my theme too. And so just for people who maybe didn't catch the earlier episodes, uh, you were here once. Uh, I don't remember who was on whose show, but we talked once uh, about uh, how to anarchy and what kind of what does that mean? What does it mean to be an anarchist and and how to uh, begin sort of the road to less government on a personal level? And I will put a link to that episode on today's show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 53. And the other show, which I think was on your show, was talking about uh, the food pyramid. And yeah, yeah, it was some a great episode. The, Yes, it was. And, and some of the information and a lot of the misinformation that uh, we have about 
uh, the foods we with the foods we eat. So we're here today talking about a project you've been working on for a little while, and it is a a game, a video game. And so I'm gonna. It's your project. So pitch us the project. Tell us what's going on with this new game. Sure. So our game is called Dummy Corporation, and it's not yet released. We're in pre-alpha, if you're familiar with development terminology like that. So we don't have a whole lot of actual game yet made, uh, but we're we're working on it, and we're in crowdfunding right now to try to raise some funds. So, But the game is it's essentially a business simulator, and at first pass, you might think it looks rather simple. You run a fried chicken fast food restaurant where you know you're you're helping customers they're lining up in your drive-through lane and you're serving them various foods you've put some of that money into reinvestment and expand what you're offering how many menu items you have the quality of those items the idea being that you make more money at an ever increasing rate but the twist is and the reason that we call it a dummy corporation is that underneath your fast food restaurant is actually the true purpose of the game, which is to run a CIA facility and get into all sorts of morally gray or even black territory, uh, doing just all manner of things. And we're still hammering out all of the different things that will go into that. But uh, we're talking drug smuggling and you know assassinations and influencing the news and just all kinds of things. And it's all somewhat based in reality. We're using real news stories to draw inspirations from. So we hope that that will not only be interesting, but also get people to kind of think about things. And it's it's got a real narrative built in. So we're really focusing on the story. We want it to be something you want to keep playing rather than what I feel like is the, the normal pattern for mobile games uh, which is to just have a game that just plays just for the sake of playing. There's not really much reward there other than you see bigger and bigger numbers appear on your screen. There's a lot there that I want to cover. And so you have a web page up, or it's probably actually probably a Facebook page for Demicorp. And I was looking at it, and it, one of the first things that struck me, I don't know if you remember the TV show Chuck, which was kind of like this where Chuck works at a giant big box store and uh, he ends up getting this, I don't forget what they called it, but he sort of in his brain, they transplant all just like all the information of the world. And so he knows everything. He can sort of, he, he can somehow retrieve these files in his head some way. And so the CIA sends a couple of handlers and one of them works at an ice cream store. And then underneath the ice cream store is this giant, this massive CIA facility with just everything you could possibly want if you were doing what the CIA does, which is what you've mentioned. <laughs> run drugs, run assassinations, fake news. I mean, just, you know, even it's, it's, there's a guy out with a book now about the the MK Ultra stuff. So yeah, all this is clearly going on. So it made me laugh about that. So let's talk a little bit about this this government base and in in this morally questionable area. So the the player goes in. Is the player becoming the uh, the the CIA people, or is he? A, a, how how does this work? Are you is this um, point of view? Sure. Yeah. So the it'll be kind of an overhead view. So you actually won't see your player, uh, your player character, except for maybe behind a desk in a little administrator's office. So at first, you're kind of a new recruit with the CIA. You've graduated your classes. You're ready to begin doing your nefarious deeds. And the feel of the game, especially at the beginning, is very hoorah, kind of pro-America. <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're doing this because you wanted to. It's not like you're uh, a kidnapped person who's been bribed to be an asset or something, you know, you're a voluntary CIA participant. And so I could understand how maybe some libertarians would be initially skeptical of wanting to play the game. But as it goes in, you'll do gradually more and more heinous things. And so we have a couple of interesting 
facets with that. You have not only the fact you're doing it, and you have kind of a mission briefing from this uh, next level up CIA agent who's kind of your boss, and he'll say, hey, I've got a new mission for you. We need to you know, airdrop comic books in this country so that we can influence the way that the public feels about this conflict and we can get you know, U.S. interests furthered in that manner or, or whatever. And so the mission starts, you'll add a new room to your underground base, which you can navigate around. And then whenever you, uh, you know, get far enough and you've made enough progress, you'll, you'll unlock another room and another project that you can do. So all of these things are always happening. And so that's part of the reinforcement aspect is it, it's cool. You want to see what the new rooms that you get are, and it kind of plays on that natural tendency I think that most people have to look at like spies and espionage and all that is this really cool thing. You know, it's like the James Bond type aspect. But then we also have a news ticker, just like watching a regular news station like CNN or something running across the top of the screen at all times, which will be commenting on the recent happenings based on what you're doing. So the news progresses as you progress and you'll get to see this weird disconnect between what you're doing and what you know and how the news is reporting on it. So, you know, you're airdropping comics over in Azerbaijan or something, and the news doesn't say that. It doesn't talk about the CIA. It just talks about, you know, the rebels are rallying and they're making all this progress, even though maybe you've sold them the guns and, and that sort of thing. So we have this, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And our writer is just absolutely brilliant. So um, we're conveying it in a in a smart way, and it's going to kind of progress. And we've got some secrets for the end that I won't reveal, but um, <laughs> it, it's no, going to <laughs> it's going to take some twists and turns along the way. And uh, we we hope it'll be a really engaging, you know, kind of a visual novel, if you will, where we're just making progress towards uh, new and newer and more interesting kind of factors, you know, playing themselves out. Cool. So the Airdropping of comic books reminds me, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a good war student. I'm <laughs> just not. So, But I'm pretty sure at some point, and maybe at several some points, there were, and, and actually my MASH episodes are better than my war knowledge, there was <laughs> the propaganda dropped probably by everybody who had the ability, but this is what it sounds like to me, that dropping comic books, you're dropping fundamentally is propaganda. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's, um, like I mentioned before we went on the air, it's uh, it's all true stuff to some extent. So it's not that we are rehashing old news stories and you know playing them out exactly the same way, but pretty much everything that's going into the game is going to be based in reality. So, you know, based on a true story is kind of a, a loose thing. You can go a long way with that uh, <laughs> and still kind of yes. call yourself based on a true story. Um, but we want to be pretty close to home with that. So, you know, MK Ultra, things like that, that are documentable and verifiable, um, they could work them themselves into the game in some interesting ways. And while we won't call it MK Ultra, it'll be you know, it, it'll be Something. close to home, right? Right. So, um, in 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 the days when things like so, you mentioned mobile. So I'm thinking, um, I've I've really stopped uh, nearly everything. I think I play I play the the word thing that's not Scrabble, and maybe one other thing because I enjoy the tease of, the, of figuring out the words. Sure. Um, but I, I played Farmville for a little bit, but I. It was almost punishing because if you didn't come back in the right amount of time, your crops would die. I'm like, well, this, this is it, – it, for me, it wasn't a rewarding user experience. And uh, either that or it's uh, the, the gems or Candy Crush. I mean, I, I don't – those seem like a great way to just let a couple of hours evaporate with really nothing to gain from it. So the this sounds at least interesting because it sounds like this is really cool as the, your character opens more rooms. So let's say we've opened one room, now we open the next one. Does the previous room still have active stuff? So as we open and get bigger, bigger 
basement is the player growing in capacity and strength and i guess is there such a thing as power for the character yeah so we haven't finalized what the name of this will be but there'll be some sort of a political currency in the game so the more projects you're doing for the government basically the more favored you are and therefore the more projects you can get and so it'll just be a numerical counter but each new room that you build you know, it it adds to your rate of income for this sort of, you know, fake political currency type type thing. And so, you know, that's what will trigger the game to give you a new room when you reach a certain threshold. So you'll be playing along, you'll be running drugs and smuggling weapons and plotting assassinations, and then a new message will pop up, hey, you know, uh, you're about to unlock a new mission, and then you'll have an incoming transmission from your boss who works with you remotely, and he'll give you your new task, you'll accept it, and that'll start to alter the news feed and and all of those things. So we want it to always have new things happening so that, you know, contrary to what you're saying with like Farmville and stuff like that, it's it's something interesting when you turn the game on. And, And it sort of plays itself too. So you make your upgrades while you're playing, but then while you're away, you're still making these, uh, prestige points or whatever you want to call them and you're still making money with your fast food restaurant you still have customers even if you're not actively managing it but when you're there you can make your upgrades so that you can make money faster is it phone only or tablet as well tablet as well Uh, right now we're just targeting android and ios devices so iphones and ipads but you know, if we meet our crowdfunding goal and all of that, if we can exceed that, who knows? We'd love to add as many functionalities, as many platforms as we can. I know there's a big audience out there on Steam for the PC and the various consoles, your Xbox and PlayStation and Switch and all of that. So we'd love to get on as much as we can, but we're trying really hard not to spread ourselves too thin since we're only six people, six libertarians. And uh, we want to, you know, have a finished game that we can show people on time. We don't want it to be something that that spreads out into eternity because we're trying to be on every platform we can. Well, maybe I'm just naive about this, but it seems that making a game that's on some platform at least gives you the chance to build it and create it for more platforms. Yeah. I don't know if that's that's true, but... At least it's and getting it done at all sounds a lot better than never getting it done because you your your goal is too big. Sure, and we'll just kind of stair step our way forward. You know, the goal is to get something out there, start getting some return on investment, and using that to kind of leverage ourselves towards some some future goals. So we don't have an exact roadmap hammered out for the future, like with other platforms, because we haven't evaluated the benefits and the potential audience and all that on all the platforms. But, you know, it is in some cases a huge amount of extra work to transition something from one platform to another. And in some cases it's pretty easy. So we're building this game in what's called the Unity Engine. It's the system of programming and and I guess asset management that we're using to to program the game. And that gives us easy access to iPhone and Android. And then from there, you know, we'll just, we'll see when we get that far. Cool. My kids play something called Animal Jam. And if I understand them correctly, they can play with other, I mean, real people, but but, vir- but just in, in virtually play with other kids in in whatever they're doing. I don't, it just, it, it actually hurts my eyes to look at the screen. So I don't, <laughs> it's just, but my, my, yeah, my kids like lots of things that hurt my eyes and ears. Um, will, will your game have that as a, as a, as a mode? Can you play interactively with other people or is it just you and the computer? Well, it's really right now, it's just planned as a single player experience so no multiplayer at all i a lot of mobile games that are competitors of ours in this space have multiplayer type functions kind of tacked on but i feel like they're they are tacked on they're not really integral or essential to the game experience so 
I'm pretty leery of stuff like that. It just seems like a lot of extra work without people really caring too much if it's there or not. I, I just pulled up that Animal Jam game on my phone. And yeah. so it looks like that's really the the core of it is is being multiplayer. And I don't know that there would be a lot of game just at first glance without the multiplayer aspect. So, you know, we're definitely taking a different approach and studying the data out there on who's playing what kinds of games and who's in our target demographics and all of that. It does look like we'll be better served focusing on a single player experience. And certainly that's, you know, a passion of mine as a as a gamer for my whole life. I've always really, really loved to find games with a rewarding story experience. And, you know, I don't particularly care if it's got a multiplayer component or not. If I want to play multiplayer, I'll play a game with no story, you know, because I just want to have a good time with other people. That's actually an interesting point. And I think the Animal Jam folks are probably targeting kids who are my age, one is seven, one's 12. And the 12 year old seems less interested now than she was a few years ago. Mm. And they're, th- <laughs> they, they like changing their avatar and changing their names. Like, and then come over to my house. And I don't even know what this stuff means, but it's pretty <laughs> benign. So, I mean, I can hear it and, and I hear them engaging with the, you know, talking to each other in the pad. And so, it, it, I'm, it, I feel as a parent that it's probably fine that they're playing this Animal Jam thing. They lose patience with it pretty quickly, which I don't mind. <laughs> uh, and then they go do something else. So it, it could be that it's just not, it's just not the same market. We're not even looking at the same people. And and that could be. I'm just, you know, I, we have taught you and I in, in well, <laughs> in talking in the 2019 sense that <laughs> uh, I'm impressed with what you're doing, but I've told you I'm not the market for this, but I'm happy to talk about it because I'm just I, not the game guy and, and that's okay. But I, I think this is cool and, and the whole, the James Bondish sort of, I don't know where this comes from. Maybe I don't know if this is if this is an American thing, or if this is just an everybody thing. But there's even as horrible as it is, there's a bit of an appeal to the spy. Yeah, of course, of course. It's it's the person with a license to kill, and the person who's above the law and can do whatever it takes to get the mission accomplished, and in all of that. I mean, you know, there's elements of that archetype in tons of stories, even that don't have a specifically uh, spy character you know you have like batman is maybe a good example of that he's you know outside the law and you know the the poor police commissioner and people like that can't even keep up with his activities because he's just he's so uh so good at what he's doing you know and so there's there's definitely some some mystique about that and i want to capture that i want that to be sort of the hook for the game so i don't want it to be oh, I guess I should support this game because, you know, it's a libertarian that's working on something and we should all band together to support libertarians. I, You know, keep your money if that's really all you feel about it. But with with this, I think it's going to be, well, I already can, can tell from what we've already done. It's just so cool. You know, I feel like a lot of this is just really, really cool. And it's coming together nicely. So I want it to be, again, you know, fun first, the, the fun is the focus, and it's just it so happens to appeal to a libertarian audience because we're all libertarians. So uh, that inevitably kind of works itself in. You know, I don't know. I, I think you might be too young to remember the first runs and maybe saw them as reruns, but the TV show, Mission Impossible. Never saw was, the TV show, no. Mm-mm. Oh, man. Well, I mean, the movies have – they just have so much more ability with budgets and and 40 years later better technology <laughs> but even back then and so you see you know you see peter grays before he was you know doing his sort of slightly comic roles but watching it was an ensemble cast and that was kind of a new thing but the whole little spy thing and just you know the the smart guys doing clever stuff and you know pre macgyver it was it was a thrilling show we used to play mission impossible on the playground <laughs> so it was it it it, it catches it, it catches some sort of sort of I guess sort of safe fantasy of just being you're not hurting anybody but 
you know, I don't know. Maybe there's <laughs> some shrinks who have something to say about that, but I think that that's <laughs> fine. I think, I, I think living in exciting, vicarious experience where no one's actually getting hurt, I don't see a problem with that. And others may not agree with that, and that's fine. Sure, sure. And I, you know, I have been heavily influenced, of course, by not just James Bond, but I used to watch the uh, Get Smart TV show. You I know. love that. <laughs> I used to, um, I, I've read all of the Sherlock Holmes stuff. That's kind of, you know, that, that individual that transcends, again, the normal approaches to doing things. And um, yeah, I'm not really into the Tom Clancy and that sort of thing, but but a lot of that material I have consumed and there's a, you know, there's a big parallel, I think, between that and just video games in general. If you look at what most games are, most single player experiences is, you know, you're a hero in some capacity, right? You may or may not be the chosen one, but you're, you know, you're someone of ability who's ch- chosen to, uh, excuse me, chosen to, um, use that ability to change the world, right? You save the day or you rescue the princess or whatever it is. You're someone with the resolve and the know-how that you go out and you achieve the mission. And, you know, that's that's just cool. It's a good metaphor for life in general, right? You set yourself a goal and you achieve it even when you yeah. encounter obstacles. So I've just always gravitated towards that. There might be some Jordan Peterson in there, or a little bit, or a lot. Going back more and go uh, Joseph Campbell and the whole archetypes, and and that's <laughs> that can get lots of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so I want to ask you, what is the transition from the game to real life? Is there in in the process of being the special agent doing your missions? Is there something? I don't want to say teachable because that sounds uh, it sounds it sounds more than the, than the game's purpose. But is there a lesson or some sort of takeaway for the player to sort of say, "Hey, you know, um, of the choices I'm going to make in my real life, I'm going to choose the ones that lead toward liberty, even if they're just small steps." Is this an intent of the game, or is this game just a fun thing? Well, I think you know. Again, it it needs to be fun first, right? But if anything, my hope is that we're going to reach a large enough number of people that we can really have an impact where they will come away from this at some point and start to look at the news or look at the actions of the intelligence community and things like that in a different light. I'm not expecting to mass convert the U.S. population to libertarianism, and I don't think that any game that intended that would be successful. So it's really just, it's a way of presenting the material. And, you know, I don't necessarily want to say getting under the radar of people, but, you know, it's, it's fun first. So you get in, you're enjoying your game. And then as it goes along, you start to question, not just the news media in the game, but hopefully the real news media as well. You say, oh, okay, that's, it's funny how, you know, you change the the words that are used to give a headline and it, it maybe comes across completely different or you show only half of a photo and it looks like, you know, a completely different situation or things like that, um, which I think a lot of us are very familiar with that sort of thing. But then we have to understand that there are millions and millions of people that aren't comfortable and familiar with those sorts of things. So it's just... Yeah, it's a little bit of a learning tool, but I, you know, there's not going to be a uh, the end. Go read Murray Rothbard moment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so we've got the government's in the game, mm-hmm. and so there's, oh, I think, a huge opportunity for creating deceit and malintent. And as the player, I'm assuming the player is going to be encountering other characters in the game. Um, not so maybe, too many. Not too many. But okay. Yes. So there, I was thinking that uh, as this character is going through his mission, is he going to encounter somebody who maybe is a double agent or is 
is is is lying. I mean, what are the what are the pitfalls of the game? Well, so and again, this is sort of maybe act three of the game type stuff. So we're not we're not a hundred percent solid on exactly how it's going to play out. We've had a lot of discussions in our private Facebook group where we are giving people access if they are funding the game to kind of see all of this discussion. But right now we have a, a a third character that comes in. So you've got your player and then you've got the kind of overlord, you know, next level up guy that gives you your missions, which he's receiving from somewhere on high. You know, he's he's just a cog in the machine as much as you are. But then we'll have this other character that kind of emerges a little deeper into the game as a major player and they are kind of there to get things back on track because as as you start to doubt things and maybe your boss starts to doubt things too because there's some particularly egregious thing that occurs then this other character's job is to get you back on track and to keep things from falling apart like you know you can't leave because well i mean you and I both, I think, listened to that MK Ultra uh, episode yes. of the Tom Woods show. So, you know, you, you can't just leave when you know all the deep, dark secrets of the CIA or or something like that. <laughs> they, you know, that's not going to well, work well for you. So so that's kind of the no, idea. No, you can there. leave, but you ain't coming back. Right, right. Um, so, so that's – and, of course, we were talking about that before the MK Ultra episode, but, but that's kind of the story – uh, mechanism that we're employing with that is, you know, you you can't leave as a matter of fact because we don't have a alternate branch of the story where you can go back to civilian life and you know it doesn't turn into a different game later. So it it has to be this this interesting moralizing without making the game boring or or somber or something like that. So you know it's a fine balance and we're working on striking that but uh, you can actually be that character i suppose is a good time to plug so we still have as of this recording the top level donation tier if you um if you do donate $500 to the project then you you can be that character that comes in later in the game and we will uh, do multiple sketches of your very own face and you'll be you'll be there well, now that is very cool, and that leads me into the next question, which you mentioned earlier. You, I think, I don't know if it's the words crowdsourcing or crowdfunding. Um, so what does, for people who don't know, and I might be one of them, what does it mean to crowdfund a project? And for the people who, obviously you've told us about the $500 person, but the people who do 5 or $10, what do they what do they get for the money? Do they get anything for the money other than a, than a really great thank you? Um, and what is your goal? And how do people contribute? Luke, let's take a moment away from dummy corporation and spies so I can tell the people about my new affiliate. Folks, if you like learning new languages but need something on the tablet, Rocket Language has 12 languages available. I've listened to the French course, and they are short enough to let the information sink in and for you to comprehend the lesson. Check out my blog post at culinarylibertarian.com slash rocketlanguage for the list of the 12 languages available. If you are in business and want to expand your skills or simply want to learn a new language for your own self-improvement, check out the Rocket Language courses. Make efficient use of your time getting exactly what you need to learn a new language. And they have a 60-day money-back guarantee. Click over to culinarylibertarian.com slash rocketlanguage to start speaking a new language today. Now, let's get back into the show. Sure, sure. So we're on the... Um the platform Indiegogo. Indiegogo is kind of the second place, I guess, big crowdfunding platform behind Kickstarter. And there's some different ways that their systems work. So we decided to go with the Indiegogo system. But the fundamental of crowd crowdfunding is that, you know, you're putting your project out there, you're showing what you're working on, whether it's a physical product or a book or a game or whatever. And 
you're asking for community support. You know, you want your fans, and this works better if you have a big mailing list or something already established, but you want people to come in and to look at what you're doing and say, sure, I'll go ahead and back this, even though, you know, it may not actually show up in the real world for another six months or a year or however long. And, you know, so it's more like a bake sale. You're asking for money to give them something. It's not really just asking for money. It's asking to trade money for for something that they want. And so we've got a variety of tiers available with some pretty comedic names that are all very like pro-America kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of a fun stab at the whole thing. But um, if you want to be an upstanding citizen, that's our entry level tier. That is only $5 and you will get your name in the credits. We feel like it's very important to recognize who is getting us to where we want to go. And, you know, the whole point here just to backtrack for a moment, is to be accountable to the people that help fund the game and to make that just the public in general. You know, it's a market test. It's not having one or two enormous donors and then having to play by their rules, right? Uh, We've seen phenomena like that in government programs with like scientific research and all of that. So, you know, we don't want to be we don't want to limit ourselves with what we can do and what we can try just because some particular person who gave us the money doesn't like that. So, you know, we're, we're, I guess if you want to think of it as open source, like the software concept, it's just out there and anyone can help. And then we're accountable to them. So back to the crowdfunding tiers, you know, you've got the $5 thing that'll get you into the credits you can, for $15, get, in addition to that, you get a bonus multiplier with how much money you're making in the game for as long as you play it. You get into our private Facebook group where you can see every single step of the development process, starting with when I started that group, so a while ago. Um, all of these discussions about how the characters should interact and what the menus should look like and how the soundtrack sounds. We just had a really, really cool uh, entry from our our composer in there yesterday with some early sketches of the music for the underground part of the game. And, you know, that. so you may never hear that unless you're in that group because we could completely change directions on that. And then you'll get a digital soundtrack whenever the game is out. And on up the tiers... In addition to the soundtrack, you can also get a, an art book. So we're saving all the concept art and kind of in-progress sketches and things for later. And it goes on up. You can actually be on a conference call with us where we're hashing these things out on like a Zoom call. And, you know, we just want to give people access to the process because it's something that most people have never been able to take part in. So it's kind of like, you know, getting tickets to go watch glass blowers do their stuff, and then you keep the stuff at the end. You know, something something cool. You watch the the whole process, and you get to have something, uh, and and you know all the inner workings of how it was made. Um, and then we do have some limited tiers as well. So I have only two available of these where you can, for one hundred fifty dollars, name an item on the fast food restaurant's menu. So like. You know, if your name is Dan, it could be Dan's Fried Chicken Strips, like whatever you want. Uh, we kind of work with you to figure out something uh, to, to make it fun and make it fit into the game. But that would be very much in the face of every player who ever plays the game. Uh, so that's a cool uh, possibility. And then you can also name some stores near the fast food restaurant which will sort of determine what the landscape around the restaurant is. So it's like a strip mall with a fried chicken restaurant out front, and you can pick one of those strip mall locations and tell us what to make to go there. So um, that'll be cool. And then, of course, we already talked about the $500 tier, which is the very, very top. So that's right. that's what we're offering. But again, the focus is just giving you unprecedented access to the process. Uh, I think, I don't know when it was. It feels like a week or two ago, you shared some artwork on Facebook. And my first thought, and I sent you 
I, I, as a as a picture, I thought of Gus Fring's Los Pollos Amaros from Breaking Bad, <laughs> and and it just it just it, I I just is exactly what I got between fried chicken and this mascot thing. I said, wow, that's that's where my mind went. So, uh, how, how why is it a fried chicken restaurant and not uh, a dim sum restaurant? Well, so it's it's actually the whole concept for the game came from a fried chicken restaurant in my hometown, uh, which is a semi small little town of about. 12,000 people. It's maybe around 20,000 people now. Uh, It's a college town. So it surges in population and goes back down. I have no idea what the real number is, but fairly, fairly small area. And uh, so there's a KFC that opened years and years ago. And it was a big deal, you know, because it's a small enough place where when a business opens, it's the talk of the town and everybody has to go check it out. And, you know, when we got a Starbucks and in my hometown, it was just a really, really, really big deal. It was like a cultural shock. So uh, we this, made it. We made it. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a Walmart and there's an HEB, and those are the two stores. And if you don't want to shop there, then you don't get to shop. So, um, so that's the kind of place it is. But KFC opens up and it's real busy at the very beginning, but then it quickly dies off and there's never, ever, ever anybody there. I mean, you know, I can count on maybe my two hands the number of times like you could exclaim and say, oh, my gosh, someone's actually a KFC. And so for but for years with no customers, they continue to be open all the time. So it just got me to kind of wondering to myself, like, what could possibly be the reason for continuing to keep this business open? And that sort of led into, well, what if it's propped up by you know, the government and it's, it's just a front, right? So uh, it's humorous at first, but then I thought, eh, that's kind of a funny idea. So I started sketching some menu designs and, and various things, um, which led us to here. I was never going to actually do anything with it, but then Clay, who's our 2D artist, we had dinner one evening and uh, we were talking about KFC? it. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't live there <laughs> that anymore. Just been sweet poetry. <laughs> it was a chicken restaurant, though. It was a chicken restaurant, so um, just a much nicer one. Um, but you know, we, we were talking about it, and it kind of dawned on us. Well, maybe we should go ahead and do this thing. So uh, that was back in like March of this year, 2019, and wow, you know, so we've been at it since then. It's it's a lot, a lot, a lot of work, and <laughs> we still got plenty that to do. That seems really fast. I mean, I don't know anything about this world, so I don't know, but that seems fast. <laughs> it just seems <laughs> that you've gotten the people you've that you found the talent you needed to find, who can do the things you need to have done, and and make progress to be at this point from March. I mean, Man, that's a. I, I'm impressed. Maybe other people, eh, whatever, they t- those slowpokes. But to me, that's a big deal. I'm impressed with that. I think it's a testament to the world of libertarians. You know, I was, I didn't want to make something like this with a cast of people that weren't all on the same page. You know, if you can imagine, uh, <laughs> I used to work at Progressive Auto Insurance, and you know, as a claims adjuster, and it is not just called Progressive because that happens to be the name. Like it's that's the thing there. And so I lasted about eight months in that environment, and then I went back to a, a previous employer. But um, I mean, they just hammer it on all the time, and so that's uncomfortable. And I didn't want to have to be the guy that's like, well, you know, we're all libertarians except for you, so <laughs> you better get with the program. You know, that's not the way to spread the message. So um, um, that that person would have self-hopped himself. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Self-exclusion, self I'm going to leave. Right. So, um, so yeah, I just, I started to do a little bit of outreach and see like, hey, is anybody on my friends list a 3D artist? And I contacted a, a few groups on Facebook and things like that. And, you know, people showed up. It was, it was really pretty astoundingly fast. Just, 
you know, people volunteering, like, sure, I'd, I'd love to work on this project. So there you go, you know, <laughs> and we have a small team. So that helps too. It's not like I need 150 people. That is a great story. So I want to just double check or clarify a point because I'm not sure in my head. So from the, the people who contribute and help in any particular way, the, the perks are uh, you're an upstanding citizen, or you can pick a menu item, or you can have a character drawn to your likeness, but it isn't a share purchasing thing. Right. Yeah. There are okay. platforms like that out there. Fig is one of the big ones where you're getting like an ownership stake in the company. We're really actually a sole proprietorship. So it's not, we're not an LLC or any of that. We may reincorporate or something later, but. Um, at this time, it's really, it's sort of a pet project that we're just going to see what we can make out of it. Um, so, you know, we're, we're excited to get it out there and to get feedback from people. Um, but we're not at this time anyway, we're not going public or anything even remotely close to that. Okay. Well, I, in case someone was listening, thinking that, Hey, there's an opportunity maybe for an investment. I want to clarify the point that the donations are more than welcome, but this isn't, this isn't a, a share thing. So yeah, it's, it's um, an experience. It's not a investment. Fair enough. Uh, I have one other question. Then we'll get some of the details and some links. I'm looking at the, uh, the image of the agent. And I, to me, it looks a lot like somebody. So I want you to tell me who was the sort of model in mind for the face of the agent. <laughs> I'll tell you who I think it looks like, and then you. But I'm curious to before I taint your idea with my face name. I want you, if there's if this just came up from somebody's brain or this. The, the guy actually has someone in mind. Well, so it's actually very, very funny. And I know that you're not thinking of who it's designed after. Um, <laughs> so no. uh, the the character, we're, we're calling him Station Chief Harlan Thomas. And we went through several different people that we were planning to make him look like. Maybe Dick Cheney and maybe, you know, this guy and that guy. And we kind of pitched it around and went back and forth. And then... Uh, who it is, is our 2D artist. So that is a self-portrait of Clay, who is doing all the 2D art for the game. Now, I didn't get that at all, because... Oh, yeah, never mind. I can see it. Yeah. Okay. I thought... To me, my first my first thought was that it looked like a sort of young Robert Red, uh, Paul Newman. <laughs> it looks like a young Paul Newman. That's sure. exactly what I got. Sure. Wow. And also, I mean, so I think the name is great. I look at the face that's drawn, and you tell me Harlan Thomas. That wow, yeah, the name fits exactly. But it also could be maybe a young James Con, or maybe like a mashup of the two. But <laughs> this is this is, I guess, we we bring our own baggage to these things, and that's perfectly fine. But it can look like anybody you want to. But it's it's a it's a perfect. It's a perfect picture of the character. It's, it's, <laughs> give him a handshake. It's a great job. Well, and he's, uh, he's actually done several facial expressions already. So we have like one with him I laughing. The, oh, yeah. I guess they uh, are on the page, aren't they? Yeah, they're up top. Okay, cool. And there was uh, one, I think, was it screaming or something? But yeah, it was good. He's, 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 he's a talent. He got a good guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always just so impressed with the whole team. Everyone has been doing just incredible work. So uh, it's a pleasure to work with these other guys. Very, very cool. All right, so give us a link how for the, for the people who want to help contribute and help make this game come to life. How can they help? Sure. So it's dummycorporationgame.com slash crowdfunding that will just redirect you over to the indiegogo page uh, indiegogo itself has like a short link that you can use but it's actually very hard and, and cumbersome to to say so to me i just thought well i'll just make a redirect <laughs> on the website so dummycorporationgame.com you can just go there and it'll take you to the page or you can do the slash crowdfunding and it'll automatically take you right to the Indiegogo. And we're um, we're going until the 16th of October. So we're still very early in. 
this uh, this crowdfunding phase. But the earlier that we can get our goal met, the sooner we can get beyond that. And we'd love to add more features to the game and really expand what we can offer, like going on other platforms or making the story more involved or any any kind of stuff like that, just by uh, having more money to throw at the problem. Very cool. I, I want to see it when it's done, just because it sounds amazing. And <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm. I'm so be, before we were recording, we were talking. Um, about some memories of of our childhood and how my children have no clue what any of this stuff means, and and I've actually completely lost my thought. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that does uh, that does remind me though. There are kids now, you know, that are illegal adults that weren't around for nine eleven, right? And so it's just it's such a crazy world um, that seems still relatively fresh, and of course it's gotten. A, the United States into all sorts of trouble abroad, um, starting wars and campaigning around. And uh, it, it's, I don't know, people have been, the U.S. has been at, at war for 100% of people's lives now. And it's just, it's a scary thought. That is a scary thought. And somewhere floating around libertarian memes is... And I've, I won't remember the exact number, but it's of the... 240-ish years we've been around as a nation, we've been at war for like 210 of them or some. Yeah, it's, that's it's not high. exact. And so don't nail me on, oh, you got the numbers wrong. I know I got the numbers <laughs> wrong. The point isn't the numbers. The point is the vast majority of those numbers, we've not been at peace. Right. And And when you – and I think that's interesting. If you say we've been at war all these years, turn it around. And take the difference. And so for 18 years, we've been at peace. And that is a whole lot more effective to me than, than to say this big 200 some odd number. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Say we've only been, we've only, not, we've only not killed people for 18 years or whatever the number is. Well, and so, that's only official too, right? I mean, when, when you're working with stuff like the CIA uh, and, and all of them, it's like, who knows, right? Are we even at, really at peace when we're at peace? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I'm sort of running into, and there's lots of ways to go in, in learning in, in libertarianism, you can really focus on economics, which is, at some, at a base level, very important. You at least even understand what Bernie and AOC and Lizzie are talking about. Um, but you can go really, really nutso and go d- a deep, deep rabbit hole. And I, I recognize the value of knowing it, but it isn't a rabbit hole that really interests me more than just be able to recognize the fallacies of the politicians when I hear them. Um, and some of it I'd like to know about money, but that's just my own personal thing. I'm more into getting the history part and and correcting those errors and finding out everything that I've learned, which isn't so, correcting that, which is a fair amount of work. <laughs> but And everybody finds a thing that they can draw to, and that's, I think, one of the things that I like about the idea of the game is you have the government and you have the agent and you have the CIA and you have the news ticker and somewhere in all there, there's the stuff that's happening, but there's also the stuff that's happening that you don't know about. And giving a friendly, fun experience also as a way to say, by the way, you know, there's this, there's more to the story than you know, and I'm doing that with my uh, seventh grader. Oh, when she comes home from school, and the first thing out, my first question in the car is, "What do I need to fix today?" <laughs> well, that's great. She knows. That's she, went great. Through, she went through all of it in sixth grade, and now we're going through it in seventh grade. And they're going to do—I don't even know what they're covering. Uh, she she tells me though. We talked about this. We talked about this. Um, one of the things she was very proud of was the and all summer long she <laughs> she listened to uh michael bolden's 10th amendment center at 9 30 in the morning monday was in friday all right and then she liked it she said this is really interesting i didn't know these things so one of the questions of the day in social studies was of the signers of the constitution only a few of them i think i, I don't have the question read um few became president Name one. And so she named James Madison. Mm. 
And I gave her a little high five and nobody else named James Madison, nobody at all named George Washington. So, but she's aware that what she's learning and what happened isn't always the case. And it's not just daddy says they're wrong. <laughs> Daddy's going to original documents and this is, this is what happened. Let's go, let's go read what they wrote. Right. And I, I think that's for me, this is sort of divulging from the game, but I think it still plays the part, <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> that getting information and being willing to go past our conventions of knowledge to go to, to original documents, find out what really happened. It, it's, it's both a terrifying thing to do because everything you think you know can sometimes be proven to be not so at all. And that's kind of tough. Well, it is. Yeah, it definitely is. That's that's a tough place to be because what did my teachers misteach me nefariously? I don't think that was the case. I think that I know libertarians like to beat up on teachers. I, I Some of them, my kids' teachers are friends of mine. I like them as people. They're great people. But the job that they're doing and the pressure exerted from top down and who, who knows how far away that top is, that's a separate issue. So I can make the distinction between this is a really good person who's doing a job that I don't necessarily approve of. Yeah, and, and I can too. I don't, I don't know if that's I – mean, they're not all bad. That would be silly. Who, I mean, who would say anything like that? But. Right. It, it's just that the system, if you want to call it that, is engineered in such a way that you can have good people and still have some – some negative outcomes from letting good people work with kids. I mean, it's, if you want to call that nefarious, then sure. But what the fact is, is you have this, this way that you sort of censure certain ideas and, and you, you know, that, Hey, which textbook do you want? You've got four choices to teach from and this year, okay, we'll choose this book. And then, you know, you can't go totally off topic with that, right? You have to sort of stick to the material. Otherwise, what's the point in having the book? And if the book doesn't go into these certain areas, it's like a lie by omission, right? But the thing that, you know, the Civil War drives me crazy. Certain historical episodes drive me particularly crazy. But, you know, it's like, what do, what are you not taught? That's often a lot more sinister than what is being taught. And sometimes what's being taught is is wrong or it's taught in a misleading way, but there's just so much that if you knew maybe 10 more details about a certain historical period, it can totally change the frame of reference for the whole thing. Well, that's an interesting point. And it isn't that the, the untaught information, the details that weren't discussed, that, that seems to be the more, this is hard. This is, this illogically does tongue-tied. <laughs> the statement won't make sense to say that the thing you didn't learn is is the thing that's doing harm. Well, if you didn't get it, how could it be doing harm? But the absence of information, I think, does, this is, I'm twisting myself in knots, but I think the not knowing does cause harm. Yeah. I mean, just to do one example, maybe to nail the point down a bit, uh, the Civil War, right after the the South loses the war, you have the Northern Coalition, if you want to call it that, kind of imposing martial law on the Southern states that had left the Union. And so you have armed guards at polling locations when people went to vote for things. Uh, for in some states, I believe it was 11 years for most of them. And I think one state was 13 years of martial law. So long enough to kind of stamp out any remaining dissent. And, you know, it's just this kind of weird, like, are you sure you want to be voting that way? You know, comrade kind of a thing, right? So it's, um, it's a little creepy, right? I don't have any video evidence to, to look at to see exactly how it was conducted, but I have some suspicions. And certainly, why would they impose martial law if, if not to achieve a certain end with that, you know, to break the will of the people and that sort of thing? So uh, I just... Uh, as I think is usually true, if you just kind of paint one side as good and one side as bad, you you miss a lot of nuance and you miss a lot of the actual things you can learn from analyzing history uh, where yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that it's very instructive to say North good, South bad, 
and just kind of stop the discussion there. So <laughs> that's me, though. I think your your point is a very valid point. And I think it is easily extrapolated to to people. So that's a domestic policy issue. A foreign policy issue is the current and been for a while. Uh, I'm going to ascribe it to the neocons, and I might get that part wrong. We got to get them there before they get us here. Right. Well, right. okay. So we're going to get people who don't know um, the. So let's exclude 9-11 because that, I mean, Scott Horton says it's not an inside job. I'm not going to argue with Scott on it because I can't. Mm -hmm. But 99.99% of the people in Afghanistan don't have the means or the inclination to get here. And what? seriously, really? Come on, shut up. <laughs> nobody, in, nobody in Afghanistan going to work today is thinking, geez, I got to get to America and kill somebody. How do I do that? Yeah, what a, mean, what a moronic thing to say, except it's said with passion and conviction by a quote-unquote leader, so it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and, and getting into – so there's this interesting little aside that is tangentially related possibly. Um, there is this wonderful band. I had never heard of this um, until I heard of this band. So this drummer I really like, his name is Mike Portnoy, plays for Dream Theater, or used to. And he had this side project called OSI. OSI was, uh, they had a few albums, and OSI stands for Office of Strategic Influence, which was a real thing in the United States. And it got shut down uh, relatively quickly, but it was a office of the United States government set up to influence public opinion and drive us into the war in Iraq after 9-11. So, you know, we keep circling back to 9-11, but, um, you know, it's just to think that those sorts of things don't happen, you know, and that the government is just looking after our interests and seeking out the bad guys that, you know, because they're evil came over here as though, you know, we have no hand in it. It's just it's completely absurd to to look at the world that way. So, you know, maybe with our game, we can get some people kind of thinking along those lines a little bit, even if not quite that far. I think getting people to think at all would be a good first step. <laughs> As opposed to, so the distinction is thinking at all versus the shuttered eyes, um, re regurgitation of official information. I think that that's, I, I think that's important. And that's more than, and that's the reason I'm telling my kids the stuff I'm telling them. I'm not telling them to prove that their teachers are wrong. Right. That's not my goal. My, the long game is to teach them to question the information that now if your boss says, I need this paper done in the next hour, that's not a thing you question. <laughs> but when you hear, you know, when you're given the official stories, well, this, this, this sounds all just a little too convenient. So let's see what we can find out. Let's learn how to ask the right questions to get some different answers. And that's really all that I want. I want to have a couple of adult children or a couple of children who become adults who have the ability to think critically and recognize that eh, something about that is just too fishy, too convenient, or or something, as opposed to, well, what the news said. Right, right. This reputable source that was hand-chosen by CNN anchors is telling me this, <laughs> so it must be true. Um, you know, and it really, stuff like this all goes back to like Henry Hazlitt and economics in one lesson and, you know, just, okay, Granted that, okay, we're doing this to benefit a certain industry, but what also happens, you know, as a result of enacting X or Y policy, it's just, you know, look one step further <laughs> and you'll find out a lot more. Um, and by the way, uh, for your kids even possibly, he has a great book that I don't think a lot of people have ever even heard of called Thinking as a Science. And it's not an academic paper or anything like that. It's not really like a peer-reviewed, peer you know, he's not a psychologist, but Henry Hazlitt, the journalist, kind of musing on the subject of learning material in an effective and comprehensive way and, and training yourself to think from multiple angles and all of that. It's a quite fascinating read, and it's not really big either. So that's a, a fun, 
fun little book. Cool. I have never heard of it. I will go look for it. Yeah, you should get it. It's quite good. Excellent. Well, we have gone far afield from talking about your game, but I think all of that stuff, I think all the content sort of fits the idea of of the game. And so I think that that's good. And, and it's if the if the game can get players to have a conversation at all and then have a conversation about the things that they're seeing in the game, then I think you will have had an astonishing success. I think so too. That's definitely the goal is just to, you know, get the conversation going and maybe we'll get a lot of backlash. Maybe there's people that will hate it, but in some ways that's the best press you can get. So, hey. Yeah. If they're talking about you, it can't be bad. Right. Well, Luke, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I'm going to put links at uh, culinarylibertarian.com slash 53 for the dummycorpgame.com slash crowdfunding. And if I can find a link for the thinking as a science piece, I'm going to put that there too, because we should get that out. We should, we should get people thinking, but in a fun way. Yes. Yes. Definitely in a fun way. So Dan, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate your investing the time and talking about the game and, uh, we can't wait to see what we can do with it. It's going to be awesome. You'll have to keep us, and maybe we'll get you back on. And when it gets, uh, I guess the word launched or whatever, when yeah. it gets, when it gets, when it gets out, let's have you back on and talk about it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Luke. All right, folks, that's going to do it. If you are a gamer, and I know some of you are, and you want to support Luke's game and his ventures. The link for support will be on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 53. I'll also add a link to the book Luke recommended, Hazlitt's Thinking as a Science. It's a short book, fewer than 170 pages, but a great primer of sorts to start adjusting one's mind to the task of proper thinking. However, a brief note, Hazlitt was a writer of his time, of course, so references to sitting in a Pullman refers to sitting in a train car. Don't let the writing of the era prevent you from getting this excellent resource, and the Kindle version price is very attractive. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert, at mattbankert.com.